Welcome to For the Record. I have Sabrina Horn here, who is an award-winning CEO and speaker, communications expert and advisor. She's also a best-selling author of Make It, Don't Fake It, leading with authenticity for real business success. She had been a CEO of the Horn Group in 2015, where she has counseled tech executives and companies through rapid growth, category creation, brand transformation, global expansion, IPOs, and acquisitions. She sold Horn Group in 2015 to Finn Partners, a global marketing agency, and was appointed to managing partner of their technology practice, and is currently the CEO of Horn Strategies, LLC, a consulting firm focused on helping executives navigate the early stages of their companies. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you so much for joining. Hi, Valerie. So great to be here and uh, great to be talking with you today. Absolutely. So for our listeners out there, please tell us a little bit about yourself. I know I gave a brief recap, but you've seen so much through your career. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess the majority of my career really was, you know, starting and running the Horn Group, a PR agency I, I founded when I was 29 years old, had four years of work experience, <laughs> no leadership training, no business experience, um, uh, you know, running a company or anything of that sort, I probably had managed an intern. But I grew that company and um, ran it for 24 years. And as you said, I sold it to Finn Partners in 2015. And uh, after uh, working with them for three or four years, I decided it, I wanted to write a book. So it came out in June of last year through Barrett Kohler. And that's, it's been a really great new chapter in my life. That's amazing. So tell us a little bit about the book, and then we'll go back to your PR career and some of the trends that you've seen, because I'm curious about the transition. Yeah, so I think it was something that was always in my system, right? People told me I had to write a book about my crazy career. And I didn't want it to be a memoir, uh, as much as I wanted it to be something that could help other people avoid making the mistakes that I made as a young entrepreneur, learning how to become a CEO on the job, on the fly. And I wanted it to be kind of about the the core of leadership, which I think is mm. authenticity. Um, and that's the, the subtitle of the book, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. So the whole process took two years mm -hmm. from idea to seeing it in print. Um, but actually writing the book only took five months. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Just, um, did you have all those pieces of wisdom kind of tucked away for a rainy day? Or how did you come up with uh, only writing for five months? Because that is a very short period of time to write a book. Yeah, no, I mean, I listen, I was organized about it, right? I had, right. Um, I got a wonderful man by the name of Alan Axelrod, who has ghostwritten hundreds of books. I had him help me edit the book and sort of organize my thoughts into a chapter flow, a chapter summary, mm -hmm. um, which I had to create and provide to my agent who helped me find a publisher. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there, it's a very iterative process and you go back and forth. So I, I definitely had a very clear outline of the flow and the points I wanted to make um, and examples from, you know, from my career that mm -hmm. peppered um, all of the, the recommendations in the book. That's great. So I guess first things first, because you've had an amazing career, could you 
Tell me a little bit about like how you decided to found the uh, the Horn Group and how you know you've kind of stayed very relevant and just were a thought leader for for most of your career during the Horn Group. So could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how mm-hmm. what you've seen through the years? Well, I mean, I guess I would say two things. Like my parents are both immigrants and self-made successful in their own right. And mm-hmm. I grew up with this constant notion that there is no free lunch in life, that mm-hmm. you make your own luck, and that you, you know, you should be able to stand on your own in life. And and so that kind of entrepreneurial spirit was just in in my blood. And mm-hmm. I think also being in Silicon Valley, where you're constantly surrounded by people starting and companies and innovating new ideas, like, it's food for the soul, you know, Mm -hmm. it's brain food. And so I think I sort of knew enough to be dangerous. I knew how to launch a startup at that point. Mm -hmm. I knew how to do public relations. I I certainly didn't know how to run a company, Mm -hmm. you know, that I had, I had to learn, as I said, on the job. But, you know, through the years, I think there's sort of three things that I learned, I had to keep my pulse on one, Mm -hmm. certainly technology, evolutions of technology and different technology cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, the PR communications industry and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, like the internet. Okay. <laughs> Let's just start with that. And, yeah. um, you know, and then social media and how that changed um, PR for, forever. Um, and then the third piece was, was like, generations of people, like Mm -hmm. all of these people who became my employees, they changed over time too. like the the millennial generation, um, you know, the X and Y and then Z generation, like, these are all they were all employees of mine, but they all needed different things from me as a leader. So those are the three buckets that I kind of had to keep tabs on. Wow, that's that's a lot. And how how big did the horn group grow to? I mean, I think we were always uh, considered, according to whatever industry association yeah. you look at, we were always independent, uh, always considered to be midsize, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere between 10, 12 million, 15, maybe we got up mm-hmm. to when the internet bubble burst. I, I preferred to be on the smaller side of that because yeah. we could manage the, the service and our clients more personally with higher quality. Now there's also something to be said about knowing everybody's name in the company. Right. Um, And, you know, the bigger you are, you also get, you have more problems to deal with. Right. Right. So as a woman entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, which is a rarity, um, how did you, how did you thrive? Was it through mentorship? Was Was it through relationships? Was it through excitement and innovation? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, it was, um, it was totally through excitement. And um, I knew that I was one of a handful Mm -hmm. of female CEOs in the in the valley at at that time. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I I just thought it was the the greatest ride of my life. And, And so I never, I never let the fact that I'm a woman ever deter me or keep me back or make me question myself. I never played into it or, or, you know, compromised myself. I was just, I told myself, like, I just have to be really, really wicked smart. Mm-hmm. I have to be so smart 
because I have to help these these other executives like make the right decisions and and help them build their brands. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I made it my my mission to to try and be smart as I possibly could and earn their respect that way. That's awesome. And because you were a trusted advisor, you got to see some of the latest trends, which is amazing. So what were some of the trends that you saw as CEO of the, the Horn Group? In te- terms of technology? In or? terms of technology, yep. Well, I mean, when I started, it was 1991. So client-server mm-hmm. application software was the hottest thing because all these software companies were developing new technology on the, the PC. I mean, the wow. PC had just, you know come on. Yeah. And, and the Mac was primarily used uh, in educational and artistic industries, right. not so much for business yet. Right. And so that that really was like the first kind of wave. And then from there, it went to, you know, e- the e-commerce, the electronic commerce revolution. And so as much as we were working with companies in e-commerce, I decided to evolve our own service offering and called mm-hmm. it EPR because we started to do PR online for the first time. And, you know, like what a concept posting somebody's press release on a website. Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, or like including a link. Yeah. To to like business wire in your press release or somebody's website. Like that was a big deal. Wow. Um and, you know, then, you know, 9-11 happened, there was, a, uh, and of course, the bubble burst. So there was a huge surge in uh, cybersecurity, security companies, mm-hmm, and that became mm-hmm. like a huge market. And then, of course, um, you know, Facebook and everything about the me generation, yeah. personalization and um, disruptive technologies, you know, that that were very consumer focused. Uh, and then, you know, there's so many vertical markets that that then sort of went up their own tornado, like yeah. marketing, marketing technology, the ad tech sector, yeah. um, supply chain and logistics technology. And, you know, and now, of course, it's artificial intelligence, which right. was around back then, but but wasn't as advanced and the technology wasn't there to, to support it broadly. Right. So what's old is new again. What old? What is old <laughs> is new again, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and so when you went back and you decided to sell the Horn Group, what mm-hmm. were some of the the triggers to sell to the Horn Group? And then how did you reinvent from a CEO to to being part of a larger organization? Well, that I mean, that's an excellent question. And it's something that I talk a lot about with other entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um Running a business for 24 years is a long time. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel like I was solving the same problems over and over again. Um, You know, you, you win a big client, you deliver new services, you make the client successful, you have client problems, you solve them, you have great employees, sometimes they leave, you have to replace them, right, you know, went through the internet bubble bursting, had to do a layoff, went through the recession in 2008, had to do a layoff, you know, like, (laughs) there's only it's like, you start to see history repeating itself. Yeah. And you realize like, okay, it's time to do something different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I thought I, you know, we were always a midsize firm, I thought it would be nice to join 
a larger firm that that was not huge, not intergalactically mm-hmm. massive, but you know, a larger firm where I could spread my wings and learn new things. And so Finn Partners was was the perfect match for us. And, mm-hmm. and I think Peter really knew how much I still needed to maintain some kind of entrepreneurial autonomy right. within his organization. And so the role he crafted for me was was perfect. And, you know, it's if I had to do it all over again, I I absolutely would sell to Finn Partners. Right. Um, but um, you know, it was a very difficult transition to answer the last part of your question. Mm-hmm. I I thought long and hard and like visualized myself being Mm -hmm. in, you know, another company, but there's nothing like it until like Friday, I was the CEO of Horn Group, a company I started and ran for 24 years. And Monday morning, I was the managing partner of this technology practice with, with like 500 people and all these people in my email that I didn't know. And so it was definitely a change and it's something I had to get used to. It t- yeah. took me about a year to really kind of figure it out. Yeah. So we work with a lot of technology companies um, who are either looking for exit or trying to grow big. And, um, you know, especially for those CEOs of those companies who have sold, what advice would you give to those companies or, or those CEOs? Um, I guess I would say that uh, you need to make sure you have plenty of conversations before you do the transaction, obviously, Mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, it's a good deal for you and Mm -hmm. that you're very clear about the role that you're going to have in the new organization. And it's as much about knowing what you don't want to do as as much as it is knowing what you do want to do and what Mm -hmm. your strengths are you know, alignment of core values Mm. is absolutely essential, right? And the culture of my company was extremely important to me. And it's, I think, one of the reasons why we lasted as long as we did. And and so um, joining another company that valued the employee and where culture mattered was of extreme importance to me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then I think it's, it's sort of knowing like, okay, well, what could go wrong? Like, mm-hmm. you know, talking to other people who have been through the same process, who will tell you what, what you don't know, like mm-hmm. in, integrating your firm into another firm takes both parties, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, and it's hard work because there's a lot of detail, you know, for each person, involved, you know, so um, there's a lot more to it. But those would be some things I would suggest. Those are great. Those are great um, recommendations. Thank you. Did you go through a third party to find the ultimate buyer? Or yes, you did? Yes, yes, we used um, uh, Rick Gould, who's been Mm -hmm. in the industry forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've known him and, uh, you know, he watched my company grow and I watched his practice grow and change and right. I contacted him and he uh, guided me through the entire process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to have someone to help right. you because they have an objective point of view on the, the merits of, of going with one company over another. Got it. Um, and he presented s- several different prospective acquirers to me and then we whittled it down to three. Uh, I had conversations with those three firms, including Finn Partners, and mm-hmm. then it was like a slam dunk. It was, 
it was like this is it i'm gonna i'm gonna go with with peter we hit it off and um it only took six months wow okay yeah that's great So moving on to your career now, so tell us a little bit about what you're doing in your new company and how you decided to do what you're doing now. Yes. Well, so I, I, you know, I wanted to stay in the technology world, of course, and, and I think my love has always been working with startup companies and those entrepreneurs and CEOs who are trying to get their babies off the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, I love working with large companies too, but that's, you know, being an entrepreneur myself, that's what I gravitate towards. And, and so, you know, through my career, I, I learned how to think like a venture capitalist in evaluating potential Mm. clients. I have read more marketing plans than, you know, I could count. Um, I, um, have made so many connections in, marketing and finance and Mm -hmm. information resources and um and so i thought you know that would be really useful right to other entrepreneurs and ceos of their startups to help them navigate those early stages when they're looking for a seed round or an a round of funding or they need help putting together their investor deck or they aren't really quite sure what their go-to-market strategy should be Mm -hmm. or making introductions to venture capitalists who might take a meeting with them, right? So it, it's that and and more, you kind of get a, a picture of, of mm-hmm. what I'm doing, but I, I don't have any staff or employees. It's just me working one on one with, um, you know, with other CEOs. And I, I find that really, really motivating. And, and it's a big responsibility, you know, yeah. to continue to lead them in the right direction. Awesome. So is your the trajectory of your career different than what you had imagined when you were say 24 or 25? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean <laughs> like when I was I was 29 when I started the Horn Group, I thought, you know, like maybe have like a couple employees or like some freelancers working for me and mm-hmm. like have a couple clients, you know, go home, work out every night, make dinner for my husband, you know. <laughs> like not and and um some of that happened, but um, it just, it just took off and Mm -hmm. I had, I had no idea. Um, but I, I knew that I had like a tiger by the tail because of the clients, you know, that, that we were helping. And I realized like, if I don't step up my game, they're gonna, they're gonna move on to a a bigger firm. And so, you know, be careful what you wish for as they say. Right. So with all the the clients that you've had through the years, was there a common client challenge that you saw? Yes. I mean, of course, every client is different, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I guess, you know, it's always about building awareness and differentiating yourself in a noisy, crowded market to stand out and to win more business, right? And get more customers and earn mm-hmm. market share. I mean, that's that's the, the common challenge, right? For, for any company, like certainly from a marketing standpoint, but it's also, you know, every company has to execute and you can have a brilliant idea, mm-hmm. but if you can't manage your company out of a paper bag, forget it. And never forget nine out of 10 companies fail. Right. So, you know, from a marketing standpoint, it's differentiating yourself and telling mm-hmm. a unique story to people who will listen and do something. But it's also 
about just running a, a good business and going to market. How did you choose the winners, so to speak, or, or the mm. technologies that actually did really, really well? You know, I think it was, um, I learned how to think like a venture capitalist. And mm. my my father was a VC, but also, you know, I, be, I became friends with a lot of VCs in the industry. And mm -hmm. I learned how to ask the right questions, right? And peel back the onion and look under the hood to, to ask those CEOs like, okay, so what are you afraid of? What's keeping mm -hmm. you up at night? When you win customers, why do you win? When you mm -hmm. lose, why do you lose? You know, and then like you say, your every company says they're the leading provider of X, Y, Z. Well, like, okay, so why are you leading? Like that's right. bullshit, right? <laughs> You're right. not you're not leading anything right now. You have yeah. five customers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and you gave the product to them. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you have to ask really smart questions and yeah. um, figure out who the winners are. But also, like you go to conferences and you listen and you read and you see where the ball is rolling, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, new markets emerge all the time. And mm -hmm. so understanding what are the dynamics of that market? Who are the players in it? What's the ecosystem, right? And and there are a lot of wannabes. Doesn't mean just because you pick a, the right technology that you're going to pick a winning company. So there's the this art and science there. That's great. Do you include some of those, some of the thinking in the book that you have in terms of like helping entrepreneurs? with understanding the the traits and the dynamics to stay ahead of the curve indirectly the book mm -hmm. is really more about helping entrepreneurs and ceos avoid the temptation to fake it and to lead with authenticity right mm, and okay, not make right. you know and not make mistakes by procrastinating and waiting for too long to make a decision or 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 exaggerating the truth under pressure right to make a number or get the funding um Right. And, um, and it's about building, you know, an authentic brand and keeping it that way. It's, it's about staying true to yourself and right. not, not being blinded by success or failure. Hmm. At what point does authenticity really become the driver of increased sales and increased adoption? Well, I mean, so that is really the premise of my book that mm -hmm. authenticity and integrity are at the core foundation of your business. You can't build a successful business or a, or a happy marriage for that matter, mm -hmm. you know, on anything but integrity and authenticity. And uh, sometimes when you're under pressure, um, you know, and you're facing competitive challenges or uh, you, you're not making your number for the quarter, right? Or, or a crisis hits. Mm -hmm. Uh, the temptation can be to fake it, to exaggerate the truth, distort the facts, or s stick your head in the sand. And, you know, we have Elizabeth Holmes is a perfect example of exactly. just, right, off the charts, like, you know, fake it till you make it deluxe. Um, <laughs> and most, most people don't go to that extreme, thank thankfully. But it, the, the point is that faking it doesn't help you make it it actually helps you fail mm. because you will always be exposed, right? The truth always comes out. The VC is going to fact check what you said about your technology, right? The employer is going to 
check your resume to see that if did you really go to that college, right? Mm -hmm. um, the customer is going to experiment with the product and test it to see if what you said is true. And, and, you know, so it's better to just be honest, right? <laughs> and that doing things the right way also means doing things the hard way sometimes, but it's always better than faking it. Right. I am curious, though, especially for those early stage companies where they don't have any clients, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, so two things. Um, there's a difference between selling a vision, right, when you want to, you, you don't have customers, mm -hmm. you need your first customer, right? Mm -hmm. And you, but you're selling a vision based and on IP and on your reputation and what you're building and your mm -hmm. relationships, right? And uh, that's, that's taking a risk. That's not faking it. That's just risking it. Okay. Faking it is, is when you cross the line and there's an intent to deceive. Mm -hmm. You see, it's selling something that you know you don't have. It's um, saying that something, a product does something that you know it can't. Or lying and saying that it's available when it's not, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, saying we have, you know, 50, we have five customers in the Fortune 500. Well, you know, you don't actually, yeah. right? That, that's faking it. And, and so um, there, there's, there's that fine line for, that entrepreneurs have to see, right? It's, it's okay to risk it, mm -hmm. but it's not okay when there's an intent to deceive, it's when you do and say things at other people's expense for personal gain. That's faking it. Wow, that's that's a really great distinction um, of you know making sure that an entrepreneur really understands where their kind of their ethical guidelines are. Right. And the other thing I want to say about that is right about the boundaries, mm -hmm. which is a really good point. Like every nobody's Lily White here, and you know we've all faked it. We've all. Mm -hmm done that. And you know, you, you yourself have to think about authenticity is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. So mm -hmm. what I think is authentic, you may disagree with and vice versa. And you have to decide for yourself within the boundaries of what you know to be the truth, how far you want to stretch that, right? And, you know, you have to put your head down on the pillow at night and, and live with that, right? And the consequences of potentially being exposed, right? And, and that can cause a lot of anxiety, it can cause imposter syndrome. Um, and, you know, life's too short, like, it's just not worth it. So um, I wanted to say that about boundaries. It's very important. That's great. So could you give me some tips for entrepreneurs out there based on your book? Yeah, I mean, I think based on the book, like, think about the last time you faked it. Like, why, what was it about? Why, like, what compelled you to exaggerate the facts or minimize the truth, like, or procrastinate? Like, what, what caused you to fake it? And really drill into that. And then think about if you had a do-over, right? What would you do dif differently? Mm -hmm. How would you handle it differently, right? Because um, if you can do things the right way, right? And try and shoot a straight arrow, y you will actually be much more successful than, 
than if you think you can take a shortcut and fake it. Uh, it just doesn't work. So think about the last time you faked it and what happened, right? Were you exposed? Were you embarrassed, right? And if you had a do-over, how would you do it differently? That's great. Great insight, Sabrina. I really appreciate it. For those listening who are looking to make a career change, any anything that they should think about or any advice that you could give that will help them yeah. as a transition? I think, um, yeah, I think part of it is um, isolating and identifying both what's burning inside you mm -hmm. and what's missing. Um, like what's not filling you up with what you are doing is as important as what is propelling you to do something different. There's some kind of relationship between those two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And that's the first thing. And then, and the second thing is again, like to think about like your core values and what value you want to create, like out there in the world, if you're reinventing yourself to, to what end, like what, at the end of the day, what will people have said about your legacy? And, um, are, are you, you know, are you doing your, your job towards that end? And are you being your best self? That's great. Thank you so much, Sabrina. And th your words of wisdom are amazing. Oh, thanks. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you and, um, and being on your podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. <laughs> You've been listening to For the Record. To hear more marketing tips, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast streaming platform. To learn more about us, go to platform.com.